Hello, and welcome back to the Turn by Turn podcast with Chris, which is me, and Daniel, my co-host. Which is me. (laughs) (laughs) If you're here, I'm assuming marketing worked. You saw something that had to do with our show, be it the logo, the topics, and you were like, that one. You clicked on us for a specific reason. And that's what we're talking about today is marketing, but specifically uh, in gaming. So uh, I know that you might think this is boring. Um, And why are they doing a podcast on something as boring as marketing? Well, it's not boring at all. And I'm going to I'm going to start with a little example of why. Um, So games marketing has become enormously expensive, just like movies, cars and everything else. Um, But I thought it would be fun to open the episode with uh, some of my favorite games marketing stunts. So. Um, Daniel, are you familiar with a game called Virtua Tennis 2? I am not. Is that sounds like it might be a mobile app? I believe it was for PS2. PS2. Okay. So no, yeah. I'm not very familiar. This is before the rise of mobile gaming. Um, so I guess their marketing didn't fully work since you're not familiar with them. <laughs> <laughs> um, what they decided to do, though, and I love this. Uh, They decided to promote their tennis game at Wimbledon, which, uh, for the uninitiated, is the world's most famous and well-known tennis tournament. Um, So to me, that makes sense, right, for a tennis game to show up at uh, Wimbledon. You you think that makes sense? Yeah, that would stand a reason. Yeah, so I was thinking, okay, did they sponsor some players to talk about it? Or did they, you know, sponsor a court and get their logo in the middle of the court or something or on the tennis balls? To me, those things would make sense. But the geniuses over uh, that were trying to sell Virtua Tennis um, at a claim decided instead uh, that step one was to capture a bunch of doves. And then they makes decided uh, we need to spray paint our logo on those doves. <laughs> <laughs> so already. Like a, a crime. Is that a crime? <laughs> I don't know. I I kind of agree. Um, So then they trained said doves to fly into the crowd and hover in front of people's faces. Hmm. So uh, they then released them as some players were warming up and uh, people reacted like people react when birds in funky colors fly into their face uh, and a bunch of chaos ensued. (laughs) (laughs) And Angry Birds was born. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, some of the other ones. Uh, this one I thought was unnecessary, but pretty fun. Um, so Resident Evil 6, that one you've probably heard of. Yes, that I've heard of. So they decided it would be fun to promote their game uh, with Capcom. Uh, and they opened a butcher shop in London that they named Wesker and Son. Uh, and it sold meat, but it was all made to look like human meat. That's a choice for sure. <laughs> Um, it apparently looked super real and caused quite a stir. And like I said, I find this one pretty funny because it's 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 pretty harmless, um, but it gets people talking and, you know, it's kind of just a fun thing to do. And if you're in the know, you know, you can go buy a severed arm for dinner. Hmm. Is um, that still open? Do you know? No, no it was just it, for a couple days. Time. Yeah, gotcha. it was for a couple days with like a performance artist that uh, does these sorts of things. Um. Another one, though, that wasn't quite so fun was uh, the marketing campaign for Splinter Cell Conviction in 2010. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Splinter Cell. I I am, at least. 
And they had two actors covered in bandages enter a bar in Auckland, New Zealand. Uh, and they began waving guns at the bar's patrons. <laughs> um, they were fake guns, obviously, but the patrons didn't know that. <laughs> That's like the, the War of the World radio program yes. from back in the day. Level yeah, do you want to talk about that for what for people that don't know that? Yeah, so originally when like radio was becoming a thing, they did a reading of War of the Worlds and people who didn't hear like the initial like welcome broadcast of what they were doing thought it was like a like a broadcast breaking news sort of thing and like everyone like broke into like a mad panic. So <laughs> yeah. Not but, to derail too hard, but that also kind of reminds me of the scare that the uh, Hawaiians had a couple of years back. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, I feel like if you mention it, I'll remember. But um, a bunch of Hawaiians got texts to their phones that uh, missiles were in, like ballistic missiles were inbound. And oh yeah, there was nothing yes. that could be done. Essentially, say goodbye, and yeah. it was totally like a misfire that like the guy w- that was supposed to hit test on the system hit like activate, <laughs> yeah. and it took like. 45 minutes uh, to an hour or something to catch that mistake. So people were like freaking out. Um, Like nobody had any clue what was going on. Like it was not even known that we had a system in place to text all these people at once like that. So it was just like, oh, okay. Um, but that's a good way to tie it back in that I I do think most of these kind of marketing disasters occur when a company just doesn't think a few steps ahead about how random people that are not in the gaming sphere are going to be affected. Mm-hmm. Um, another quick one like that was, uh, 2002, we have the developer acclaim again, um, the game burnout Two point of impact was coming out. And they decided that uh, to promote that game in the entire country of the UK, they were going to pay all speeding tickets that were accrued on that day. So obviously the people were like, yeah, uh, this kind of encourages speeding today, don't you think? (laughs) And that wasn't a very popular one. No. So uh, let's let's before we we continue. uh let's talk about what led to this episode um which was daniel's experience and uh seems like the gaming community's experience right now with the game digimon survive um which is a game i was really interested in as an srpg fan like fire emblem and shining force and stuff we don't get too many big games in that genre so a new licensed one from digimon uh digimon sounded really promising because uh that's a really big license to take on that genre so uh what what are people upset about daniel so um as far as i can tell um the weird thing about it is that so there there was some like pre-release hype about it and then like it came time for a release date and i went to the store to get it couldn't find it anywhere couldn't find it GameStop, any of like your normal like US locations to buy games. Walmart, Target, GameStop, Best Buy, like any place. Uh GameStop only ordered enough copies for pre-order. They didn't have any on-hand store c- copies. 
Like most websites didn't even have listings for it. And about three weeks after, you still don't see it in stores. So I eventually had I, to I don't. Yeah, I haven't seen it in stores at all. And the only place I could find to get it was the Nintendo eShop of all places. Which, um, depending on how many like Switch games you have and like save memory, you'd have to like get a memory card in order to even download it. Thankfully, right. I, I don't have an insane amount of save stuff on my Switch, so it's not that big of an issue. But it all came from this new game that had some like pre-release hype is pretty hard to acquire in like a simple manner. That hasn't been what, what got people writing angry reviews. Yeah. So that, that was my weirdness about, about it. But the, the thing that got the weird bad reviews is that, um, it is a visual novel with SRPG battles in it. (laughs) <laughs> it is not a SRPG framed around a visual novel. It is specifically a visual novel with SRPG battles speckled through it <clears throat> as like a flavor seasoning to the visual novel aspect. There's yeah. No... It, he's really not exaggerating. I thought it was going to be like, uh, I, you know, I might describe, um, Path of Fire Emblem, Path of Radiance, and Radiant Dawn. There's a ton of reading in those games. I might say that they're SRPGs slash visual novels a little bit. Um, but, you know, you get a battle every so often um, in between all the reading. And, you know, you might not go an hour without battling. Like, that that seems about right. Like, the most you're going to read at once is an hour. Um Digimon Survive, the Let's Plays I've seen so far, uh, has been like, you're playing three hours of a visual novel, and then you might have like a 10 to 15 minute SRPG battle, and then you're back to visual novel stuff. Yes. So uh, we won't go super hardcore deep on Survive in this episode, but um, there will be some more Survive thoughts. I'm not, So I'm currently, the way it stands now, I'm about half a little under halfway through in uh the srpg stuff is ramped up a little bit what is what does that mean so rather than every couple hours you usually run into one like every half hour or so okay which for a lot of people like a lot of people won't experience this game but um to tie it back it was, I feel like it was one, like a great example of people reading the part they wanted to hear loud and the part they didn't want to hear quiet. Mm. <laughs> so like they saw a visual novel and like your brain perhaps naturally just highlights the thing that makes you excited and downplays the thing that makes you less excited. Mm. So a lot of people went in thinking it was going to be like Digimon Fire Emblem. And it is not. Although Fire Emblem is probably not a horrible comp, given all that there is a lot of reading in Fire Emblem games too. But like it's it's probably so. I would say Digimon is like double what Fire Emblem is. So it doubles the story parts and like minuses the battle parts. 
but yeah, I don't think it's terrible uh, as a comparison when we kind of know what we're talking about, but um, there's things that I think that uh, Bandai Namco could have done to anticipate this a little bit more. Um, I point to things like there was not even a listing up on digital storefronts before uh, release day. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that you need to have it out as far as some of these companies do, but I do think that would have helped a little bit. Um, So people weren't just tuning in on release day going, oh, okay, here it is. And then buying it then. (laughs) I also think it could have been explained a little bit better that this was a visual novel primarily because I know when I'm looking for when, when I'm looking at trailers for games, um, that's something I wanted us to talk about too, is the state of game trailers. I mean, man, (laughs) it's rough (laughs) out there because we do a lot of cinematic trailers these days that don't actually show any gameplay at all. Um, so I, I come away from a lot of trailers not having any idea what genre the game even is. And then, uh, so what that's trained me to do is just to go, oh, okay, if I see cutscene, skip through that to see what the game is. And so for Digimon Survive, I might have done that and said, okay, well, you know, I see cutscene, I see characters talking, but I don't really care. I'm going to skip through and see what the game is. You know, because that's sort of what I feel like the current environment has trained me to do, I would be kind of doing a little bit of what you said in that you hear the parts you want to hear louder because it's like, okay, well, the cutscene is the game, <laughs> is what is what the, the problem was this time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wonder if a lot of people maybe did that. And I think it's pretty much only natural that you're like, oh yeah, SRPG, Digimon, okay, cool, check, check. And then that's because I don't think they were like misadvertising it, like looking at like the things they specifically released. I don't think it was their fault that the wrong impression was received. Mm. But I also think that um, a lot of people are probably going to miss out on a pretty good game because of that visual novel part of it. Yeah, I can I can definitely understand that. Um, and I'm saying I think they're somewhat to blame, but I also don't think they lied, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like, it's not like they yeah. didn't show what the game was. Not not understanding the current environment and uh, not understanding how that was going to be received, I think. But it's, it's not like they just stood up there and lied about what it was. But like, um, they also, like, if they're paying attention they have a great template for what their next game should be. Yeah. Yeah. I think they do. Um, and I think that if this is a series that continues already, it will get better. Um, if they want to make one that is the exact same, because now expectations are set for what it is yeah. and people that are interested in that will buy it. Um, but the reason that we're even talking about this and that it really matters, I think is that uh, review bombing started, which people get real touchy about. Um, And I I find review bombing a really interesting phenomenon because uh, a lot of people just offhandedly write review bombing off as bad. And I I see it as like, this is the way that the community makes their voice heard. And they don't have a lot of other options to do that where developers will actually sit up and take notice. So I don't necessarily just view it as a negative. We've seen it 
a lot recently with things like uh, VR Chat is another one that is currently getting review bombed because they uh, just pushed an update to their users that makes it so that you can't mod in new uh, skins or new content. And pretty much the entirety of that game, from what I understand, um, was mods. <laughs> so people are now upset, review bombing it, and it's like, yeah, it makes sense. And uh, I, I do think that it's helpful the way Steam has uh, aggregated things. So that um, the way things are done on Steam is you get two different review scores. You get um, overall reviews, and then you get recent reviews. And I find that to be really helpful in uh, review bombing instances because then you know, um, is this a new, like, did they make a choice that, I, and I'm talking about going into it knowing absolutely nothing. If I'm looking at a game and I have no idea, any preconceived notions or anything, um, if all of the, if the overall reviews are really positive and all the recent reviews are negative, I'm like, okay, so something changed at some point. Um, and I, I think that's a pretty useful tool. Mm-hmm. Because when that first Digimon Survive trailer came out, like you don't, like you were saying, you don't see any gameplay. And I think mm-hmm. that part of that is um, the fan, like the fan base, like they were doing that, like honestly, because the point was the visual novel part of it. Yeah, that that so, is the gameplay. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it's like they gave you the gameplay. You just thought they were holding it back to not spoil anything. Yes. So like it's actually kind of funny that way because it's like they told you exact. They told you what it was. They showed you what it was, but you it like baits it as like a spoiler to show you the gameplay. So they don't show show you. They show you like thirteen second clip of it. And I don't know what's worse, underselling your game, sort of like, you know, the showing, I guess, the game, but, you know, kind of weirdly omitting part of it. And that kind of makes me think it's more versus um, a game like No Man's Sky that shows off a million and one things that are not actually in the game at all. And to their credit, uh, they are now. But for a long time, that game was not at all what it was billed to be. One of the most hysterical um, marketing things that I've seen is on you. There's a YouTube ad now that I've seen a couple of times where it's like, like you hate game trailers where they show you all this like, like, like graphic art and stuff. And then you get to like the mobile game and it's Candy Crush. And then they yes. introduce their game that's like a mobile game that's exactly like Candy Crush. That's like, funny. So like you're parodying something you're also doing in the same commercial. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. So that's been my favorite one that I've seen lately. Uh, speaking of, of mobile games, we were going to talk a little bit more about uh, some of the other uh, large marketing campaigns that are going on. Man, Raid Shadow Legends is everywhere. I don't yes. think I need to tell our audience that. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming if you're listening to a gaming podcast, if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know what Raid Shadow Legends is, please reach out to us. I'm fascinated by you. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It, it pops up everywhere. They sponsor everybody. 
Yeah, it's like, wild. I, I mean, all the way from like um, gaming content to, uh, I mean, comedy things to political commentary. Um, I don't think there is a single content creator that I watch that has not run some sort of ad or sponsorship from Rage Shadow Legends. I really do not think there's one. It's wild, the amount. <laughs> and I'm just looking at it like the amount of money these people must have. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy. But part of that, too, um, is something that I, I think people really do need as a takeaway is uh, reinvest money back into your project. And you've got to have a pretty good finger on the pulse of when that's going to stop being profitable. Because at some point, like with Raid Shadow Legends, everyone that is willing to give that game a shot is going to have. Speaking of, this episode of the Turn by Turn podcast is brought... No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, But I don't know. I'm a little bit surprised that Raid hasn't hit that yet, that everyone that's going to give it a shot has. Um, but it's kind of like, I, I wonder the same thing about when uh, League of Legends starts running ads, because every once in a while they get really aggressive running marketing campaigns. And I'm like, is this to bring people back? Because like, it, League of Legends is another one that most people know what is, and if you're going to give it a shot, you have. There's not like, I, I feel like there's not a huge market, untapped market of people that if only they knew about League of Legends, they would be all in on that. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, like League of Legends. Hmm. I guess I'll give that a try. Like it's been around long enough that if you're like somewhat in the gaming sphere, you've like heard of it because I've heard of it and I miss everything. So, yeah, it's just a little bit weird. And I'm going to try to kind of tailor this a little bit. Uh, I'm going to try and bring up some points for indie devs because I know we have uh, a decent contingency of our a decent contingent, I mean, of our listenership is uh, indie devs or people that are into indie games. So indie devs that are listening to this, listen up. Uh, don't spray paint uh, pigeons or doves or stage fake shootings to promote your game. See, we've we've already helped you know not to do either of those things. <laughs> I know. There's indie devs right now that are just letting the doves fly out the window right now. Yep, it's a beautiful scene. And like, be free. <laughs> I think this is where we cut into our break, and then when we come back, we'll we'll talk more about uh, some of what works, some of what hasn't, and give some actual real tips for for you indie devs out there. Perfect. So we'll be right back. Bye. Have you ever been looking for a definitive Nintendo ranking and can't seem to find it because it's just everybody's own opinion? Honestly, all the time, Sam. Well, I'm looking for someone to give us the answers. Wait, you mean like a podcast made by two young, handsome men where they create a definitive top five list of all things Nintendo? Should we just do it ourselves? Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Let's give it a shot. I'm Sam. And I'm Jake. And And at at Top top 5 Nintendo, Nintendo, I'm going to give you my top 5 list. And I'm going to give you my top 5 list. And then we're going to duke it out and see what the real top 5 is. 
Hey there, podcast listeners. I am David. And I'm Kate. And together we host a podcast that you might be interested in if you like The Legend of Zelda. There are lots of awesome podcasts out there and a lot of awesome Zelda podcasts <laughs> out there. That's right, Kate. And we are another one of them. In fact, that is the name of our show, Another Zelda Podcast. And in our show in particular, we talk about some of our favorite dungeons, characters, boss battles. We do a couple top ten lists here and there. We have some deep dive episodes and we even pepper in a couple of quiz episodes. Episodes. We talk about our own experiences, we do some review episodes, talk about our challenges, our struggles, and our victories. That's right. If it has to do with Legend of Zelda, we talk about it. You can check out our episodes on our website, anotherzeldapodcast.com. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and a lot of the other podcast services that are out there. And you can also check out our episodes on our website, anotherzeldapodcast.com. All right, we will see you there. Okay, bye! Welcome back to Marketing by Turn. That doesn't sound very good. I should workshop that name more. Yeah, we'll we'll put that back in research and development. So uh, let's talk about knowing your audience, um, which is something that like we were talking about. I think the Digimon Survive uh, publisher should have done a little bit more, but this is a very, very common issue. Um, and if you need evidence of that, I would say watch any E3 and you'll see what I mean. Um, it is a massive gaming convention, and uh, you know who turns tunes into massive gaming conventions? Thirds do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I count myself among that. I'm a nerd. That's why I watch. Um, and I can't count the amount of times that usually Xbox is up there and they go, and now, welcome to the stage, this guy. And I'm like 90% sure this is a sports guy that probably costs tens of thousands of dollars to just show up to this thing. And most of the audience is like me and has no clue who this guy is. But he stands up there and goes, all right, all you gamers out there. I know that you're playing your CODs and your your battlefields, but you really should consider FIFA. And there's one guy in the audience that's like, woo. And I'm like that one guy cheering that knows who this guy is. He already knew whether he was buying FIFA or not, just like I already know whether or not I'm buying FIFA. And the answer is no. And <laughs> you having you having this guy show up is not going to make me buy FIFA, <laughs> but it probably costs you a lot of money. And I, I get very confused as to how companies think that this is somehow a worthwhile investment mm-hmm. every year. Because they do do that like just about every year. I don't I don't know if you've experienced this. Yeah, I would think that that would be sort of like clawing on to like a national audience. Like, oh, yeah, LeBron James was promoting FIFA. That might make like like local news or like like a bigger news outlet than just nerds. So it might be like not for the nerds per se, but for like hoping that it'll be like aggregated into like a bigger news cycle. Like I remember, so my hometown is like a tourist trap and it was uh, uh, Barack Obama came there to like stay for the weekend. And it became this like huge national story. Like go visit like this town, like Obama went there and like he ate at this restaurant and like that restaurant got super popular, like purely just cause he was there. 
So maybe like that's kind of the idea that it's not for the people that are there that like want you and McGregor to walk on stage instead. It's for the like the larger world to see. But see, I know who you and McGregor is. Exactly. Because you're a nerd and like. Yeah. But my my thought is like (laughs) um, if it was somebody in the sports world of real note and I'm not saying that's never happened. But, like, I know the names. You know, if LeBron James walked out on stage, I wouldn't be like, who is this guy? I would be like, oh, that's LeBron James. This is kind of weird. But I would at least know who it is. It, But it, it very often is some sort of sports guy that I have no... This is not a household name, you know? Oh, I, I have no clue who this guy is. Um, and if you're sitting there screaming into your phone or your other listening device, of course I like that guy showing up. I say, okay, well, what about the cars? Can we talk about the cars for a second? Anytime they're like, all right, clear the stage and the lights go down and there's a spotlight and we lower a car from the ceiling. And I'm like, whoa, it's a blue car. <laughs> and it's a I Honda know. Civic. <laughs> <laughs> but to me, to me, like to make all of you upset at me that are car people, it might as well be. I know as much about it as I do a Honda Civic and I care just as much <laughs> like they might as well have lowered a Honda Civic to me the novel the only novelty is that you've got this car on the ceiling and I'm just sitting there thinking when they were presenting Mario was that car up there the whole time <laughs> like that's that's what I'm sitting there thinking but yeah I might it might as well be a Honda Civic I, I just am like oh okay like we're promoting Forza is is my guess does this have any bearing on me does anybody buy Forza or learn what Forza is because they brought this car down from the ceiling? Like, that's hard for me to imagine. I don't know what that is. That's it, a type of car? No, it's a car racing game series. Oh, okay. Forza Horizon, Forza 4, like, I can name a couple of them, but... If it's not Need for Speed or Mario Kart, I don't probably know what it is, as far as racing games go. <laughs> Uh, what was the other one I named? Did you not know that one? Um, Burnout. That sounds familiar, but like an old Sega game. Uh, that would be. Sega... Is that Burnout? I don't remember what that one is. I know what you're talking about, though. But yeah, it, my my point was: is this money well spent? Um, and I, I, I I'm not sure. To some extent, it must be because they keep doing it. So I'm like, maybe there's marketing data I'm not aware of that says, yes, this does somehow increase sales in the end. Um, But it makes you wonder, you know, I I think about the same with like, let's say the MCU or Batman movies, things like that. I'm like, do do you need to run intense ads for your Batman movie? Like for people to turn out to see Batman? Mm -hmm. Like, we know there's going to be another one. I know I'm going to go watch it already because I like Batman beyond me just being aware of its existence. I really don't need to know very much more. (laughs) I've already made up my mind. I'm going to go see Batman Um, unless it just looks absolutely terrible. But in that case, exposing me to that would make me less likely to see it. But yeah, this is something that I think has just been really weird about uh, about E3 and stuff. And to me, the best thing you can do is just have a good trailer. Um, And to me, like, I uh, I would say what a good trailer consists of is hype, show off the art, and show off gameplay. And this is something that applies to indies as well, you know, and, and cut to the chase. 
like I know you want a really nice cinematic trailer for your thing because it's your baby and you hold that really dear to you. But most people are going to give you not very long. They're going to glance at your trailer and you've got, depending on people's patience, about three to four seconds maybe to keep them looking. Um, and it, it sounds like bad, but like that really is about how long you get, I think. And I, I, you know, I think a lot of us like to think, oh, I'm above that. Like, I know I like to think I'm above that, but I definitely catch myself doing that, that I'm like, oh, this game looks bad. And I'm like, why does this game look bad? Why am I thinking that? And it's like, uh, cause it didn't grab me immediately. And like, I don't know, there's games that do. <laughs> and like you're saying, if you're not gripped you're not just going to st- like stare at it for two, three minutes if there's nothing keeping you there. Yeah, yeah, very much. Um, so you've got to show something to grip. And it depending on your game, that depends what, uh, what you need to be showing. Um, I think for some games, especially indie games, you need to just cut to gameplay because that's the thing that's really stand out about your game. It's hard to compete with the art of multi-million dollar companies um but sometimes it's able sometimes you're able to and that's the best thing you got going for you and you just gotta show me a character design and i go wow i want to play that mm-hmm. and there's a lot like obviously we've talked to so many different indie devs at this point that like a lot of them really do have like the phenomenal art going for them ah, yeah they do um like pretty impressive yeah yeah i definitely agree um i was thinking uh Oh, now it's bothering me. Like, what do you have one offhand that has been on our show that the second you looked at it, you were like, okay, I'm in. So uh, it hasn't aired yet. So I guess this is like a teaser spoiler or something. But we talked to, or I had the the opportunity to talk with the creator of Luminera, The Radiant Journey. And like, he, like, his game has. 24 characters that are all unique unique art sprites and like the design really sticks out so definitely that one uh video game fables that we talked to in season one has that like 8-bit like paper mario vibe to it and that's really cool a lot of them really the wildermyth people like their like art is like super like unique and stands out yeah, another one I've got on my wish list right now is Wolfstride, which I haven't bought yet, but it's another one that just looking at the art, um, it's like kind of anime stylized, but it's also all in black and white. And mm-hmm. so I was like, oh, this is really interesting looking. And they go all in on detail. But yeah, so part of part of having a good trailer is know your audience and what they're looking for. Know how to best get them to uh, hang on to it. Uh, another one that we haven't talked to that I would like to very much is the people that made Symphony of War, Dancing Dragons games, I believe they're called. Symphony of War is a Fire Emblem style game, uh, sort of mixed with Tactics Ogre, if you know that series. And what they did to promote it was like a week before it came out, they just did the tour of Fire Emblem YouTubers and went on with everybody for like a day at a time and had them stream their game early. And so that put it in front of a lot of people that would be really interested in playing it. And I think that that kind of tactic is really underutilized because it's very common to like send your your game out to YouTubers and stuff. 
And I know some people will send it out to whoever wants it, and that can also be a pretty good tactic um, if if you're really struggling to get traction. You can't have too many people looking at your game. <laughs> but specifically targeting certain communities that you think will really be into what you're creating is a really good idea. And don't pour resources into targeting communities that are not going to be super into what you're doing. Um, if you're making Digimon Survive, you don't need to show pay to show up at the car show, your local car show. That just is not going to get you very far. If you're Forza, maybe, but <laughs> if you're um, if you're at a car show and you see like an Agumon, like character costume person walking around, just know something didn't work quite right. Yeah, something got lost in translation. <laughs> in Japanese, they thought it said Honda Civic, and it said Agumon. Because Honda Civics are at car shows, right? It's going to make those people super mad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, just know know your audience and know what you're going for. Um, and it can get really niche. Um, I saw, just to kind of throw, throw him uh, some appreciation, we've had Sinister Designs on the show before, Craig. And uh, Craig makes SRPGs as well. And... Uh, Craig was recently talking about how the latest Fire Emblem game at the time of recording this is Fire Emblem Three Hopes, which is a crossover with uh, Koei Tecmo, who makes Dynasty Warriors games. And they made a Fire Emblem. This is the second one they've done with them uh, as a Fire Emblem Dynasty Warriors style game. And Craig had the idea, um, made the statement that he was like, you know, I don't know if devs that are super into SRPGs, uh, I don't know if Fire Emblem is all we should be marketing to. Because the Fire Emblem group, the players for Fire Emblem, are really interested in those characters and will totally drop SRPGs if they can follow those characters into something like a hack and slash. So I'm not sure this is exactly, it's part of our target audience, but I'm not sure this is the complete target audience. And I, I think he was on to something with that, that it's like, yeah, you definitely have to understand sort of the way the wind is blowing and the way things are moving. Just because you make a game that is in the same style as another game doesn't mean yours will be instantly successful with those people. You have to know what they like about the thing that they're doing. Um, another thing that I could point to is the not- so much acceptance of a SRPG maker as a concept. Like, I think it's a great concept. I think it's a great idea. And uh, we've interviewed people on the show that have used it, um, like Cole Brayfield with Walk With The Living. And there's another one coming out soon that I was not part of, uh, that I forget the name of. We had a couple in season one that were working in um, SRPG studio. We had um, Bright Blades. It was Bright Blades as well. Yep, it just oh. uh, it um, takes a lot of creative liberty with the engine. Yeah, that's not it, the one I was thinking of. It looks it is SRPG Studio, but it doesn't use the same sort of like sprite types that from Fire Emblem GBA. Yes, and then uh, Gray Heritage from uh, yes, that's from the, the show one. Brandon. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking. Gray Heritage Faded Visions. Yep, that was another one that's using SRPG Studio. But Fire Emblem fans have not embraced SRPG Studio, um, which I think is really interesting and kind of sad. And I, I, I feel frustrated with the devs that that's not working as intended. But 
it, it just kind of is, you know, they're looking, a lot of those Fire Emblem fans are looking for something beyond just SRPGs. It's not just that that they're getting from Fire Emblem. It's, it's a lot of things. And I think like with SRPG Studio, a lot of the devs that are using it are just kind of like using it as like a base and like importing all their own elements and like. I can tell you that's not the majority. <laughs> oh, I would assume so. <laughs> I've, uh, I have been doing some deep dives into that uh, to see just what is being made. But um, same, same with RPG Maker. Like yeah. a lot of like the people we've talked to a few different people that have been making games in RPG maker and you look at it and you're like, are you sure? Like, yeah. Yeah. There's definitely people that can use it to its, I would say it's full potential and you look at it and you're like, yeah, I I couldn't even tell. It looks so different. Like just having messed around with it for like an hour. Like it looks nothing like any of the templates. They've gotten all their own tree sprites and different things. Yeah, I believe yeah. Symphony of War is another success story that um, I think he might have met SRPG Maker, but the interview I was reading from Phil at Dancing Dragon Games uh, said they used RPG Maker. I, I think he met SRPG Maker, um, mm-hmm. but maybe not. If he if he was speaking correctly and he met RPG Maker, that's even more impressive because there is nothing left <laughs> of the default assets. Um, and I, I mean, you would never know. It's it's wild, but I don't think there's any shame in using these things. Um, you just have to know how to market it well and how to sell it well. And the way you do that is you come on turn by turn and have us sell your game for you. I'm just kidding for now. <laughs> but not in another sense, not kidding at all. And if you want to come on the show, hey, we have we're on Twitter. You can hit us up. We'll we'll schedule something. <laughs> Yes, we will. And uh, I think that kind of is bringing us to a close. I'm kind of rambling a little at this point, <laughs> but that's what you tune in for. Um, before before we end off, I wanted to re- kind of recap marketing talk. Know your audience. Make a good trailer. If you have a sizable budget to work with, step one is don't get yourself into trouble. <laughs> all, all publicity is good publicity until it's not. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I I do believe that, yeah, all publicity is good publicity, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, there there is a line where it hits that things start to not be good. <clears throat> I, I think a lot of people became suddenly aware of who Blizzard was that maybe didn't know uh, when that when things started getting real bad for them. And I don't know that that increased their bottom line. Uh, but before we ended, I did want to bring up one of my absolute favorite, uh, another of my favorite marketing tactics here, and that was for the game Saints Row the Fourth. And uh, that was their idea was to create a uh, maybe maybe we'll talk about this. Maybe it'll come up in another video if you guys want to hear us talk about collectors editions and pre-order bonuses and deluxe editions and things like that. Um, but their marketing ploy was we are going to create the deluxe edition collector's edition limited edition for our game to end all others so they came up with saints row the fourth the super dangerous wad wad edition aka the million dollar pack they had one of these available it cost one million dollars um have you heard did you hear about this daniel no this isn't sounding familiar okay the limited edition includes, obviously, Saints Row the Fourth Commander in Chief Edition, which is their uh, the nicest edition of their game, Saints Row the Fourth. Um, 
It came with a full-size replica of the dubstep gun, which was a gun in the game, um, a hostage rescue experience, a spy training day, a personal shopper, a capsule something that is cut off. Um, Oh, here we go. Oh, okay, capsule wardrobe. It says so. What that is is a shopping spree with a personal shopper to com- create the ultimate Planet Saints capsule wardrobe. Um, you can get plastic surgery of the purchaser's choice. So that will come with your game. You still following me, Daniel? Yep. I'm not 100% sure what all these things are, but I'm listening. <laughs> Seven nights for two at the Jefferson Hotel in Washington. A brand new Toyota Prius and insurance. To give something back to the environment, apparently. Um, a seven-night stay in the top royal suite at the Burj Al Arab with flights for two in Dubai. And uh, the last part is a... Oh, yeah, sorry. A year's supercar membership. Forgot that part. A Lamborghini Gallardo. Forgot that one as well. And uh, the last one is a Virgin Galactic space flight. A Virgin Galactic space flight? Yes, they literally will take you to space. And all of this comes with your Saints Row 4 game. Interesting. Now, as far as I know, no one bought this. That's interesting. Uh, It did actually go for sale uh, through Game in uh, the UK game store. You you could actually buy it for a million dollars. But people have done breakdowns for this as well, that it's like the actual cost of all the things you're doing is less than a million dollars. That's what I was just wondering. Like a Prius is expensive, but not like a chunk, any chunk of a million. Well, I think a Lamborghini Gallardo is also probably pretty expensive. Oh yeah. I don't know anything about cars, but I know Lamborghini means money. The Prius was the only thing I could remember from your list. Cause I thought it was so odd. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I thought this was hilarious and, and awesome that they made this because like, why not? You know, it's one of those things that's like, are do we have the fulfillment set up for all of this? No, probably not. But like, if you pay us a million dollars, we'll figure it out. <laughs> was this available in bulk? Like, could multiple people have no. purchased this? It, there no. was, it was quantity one. Yes. Okay. It was a quantity of one. It's hard to believe nobody bought it. Just there's a lot of people that have stupid money. That yeah, like... I think. Yeah, <laughs> I think they were they were kind of banking on somebody doing that. But I think the people that have stupid money also have more fun things to spend their money on than that. And it is sort of. I think the the value proposition wasn't fully there, and just not have it be Saints Row the Four themed. I guess you know. Um, you could do all those things for far less than a million dollars. So it's not that they're not doing these things. It's just we don't need to do them through the Saints Row people. So is it still available to purchase? Now that I don't know. Because um, at this I, point, like you could purchase it and then be like famous because you purchased it. No. Like, clicking oh, yeah, through, like, uh, I get an error message now. So uh, I don't think it is still live. All right. Sorry, guys. Yeah, I'm sorry to burst your bubble to the billionaire that listens to this show. You can't buy the Saints Row the Fourth Wad Wad Edition. But you know what? If you if you contact uh, Deep Silver, the developers of Saints Row, they'd probably still honor it if you're going to give them a million dollars. Just saying. 
if you get famous off spending a million dollars on that, uh, let us know. You can come on for an episode. <laughs> you just say let us know. I say that uh, seven nights at the top royal suite at the Burj Al Arab in Dubai, that was for two. So uh, you remember me. You remember where you got the idea. <laughs> How's that for marketing? <laughs> So if our next episode is just me alone, you'll know that Chris got a nice fun weekend in Dubai. (laughs) (laughs) That's a whole week, seven nights. I'm not staying two days. If I'm going to fly like 16 hours, I think is that plane flight. I'm staying for longer than a weekend. I get motion sick. Uh, (laughs) Something something I did think I probably should have mentioned too, and that is very related to this, (laughs) is the... uh, Another thing you can do for marketing that uh, I don't think you should do, but also seems to be effective, um, so I do need to cover it, is, uh, how do I want to phrase this? People get real touchy about this one, too. Um, the idea that, um, okay, so like Ubisoft was one that did this for a while, and I'm not sure that they still do this, but I don't know, and it kind of says volumes that I don't know. Um, they would do things where they would... Uh, rent out like a portion of a hotel that also kind of like doubles as a spa and they would fly in all of the reviewers from like polygon kotaku ign GameSpot, you know all, all of these people um i'm not sure GameSpot was in there so i'm not gonna throw them in there but basically what i'm saying is generically all of the big video game websites uh and magazines their reviewers got flown out to this hotel and uh, they'd get spa days and things like that. And then, you know, for a couple hours a day, they're allowed to go down and play uh, whatever we're promoting, Assassin's Creed, uh, Ghost Recon, whatever. And then uh, that's it. Thank you for coming. We'll send you home. Well, that sounds awesome. <laughs> the idea is sort of that, like, if you review us well, you'll get to do this again. <laughs> we'll invite yeah. you out for the next one. And so... The gift thing definitely did become big, and I I think it was bigger in the past than it is now, Um, but it is still marketing when your favorite streamer or reviewer gets, you know, an Overwatch loot box in the mail that's got all this nice stuff, or uh, an Elden Ring box. I saw some of those go out that some people got a sword and a helmet, and they show this off to you and talk about what a cool company FromSoft is. And this doesn't all have to be negative either. Sometimes you just want to send people stuff that like your game. That's pretty neat. Um, It doesn't all have to be in bad faith, but it is something that you keep in mind, I think, and uh, definitely should be talked about in in, in a review uh, or or in sort of marketing for things, because it is definitely part of marketing, you know. And I wouldn't feel right for our listeners if, you know, I this podcast was live from the pool cabana at some indie devs house that had already made it huge (laughs) like i would feel weird not telling you that and uh, i I think daniel's probably the same oh yeah that that would uh constitute a little bit of a conflict of interest that am i really gonna say something bad about this no generally we record in our living rooms or closets so (laughs) i'm at work right now (laughs) (laughs) so but yeah so there you go that's about all i've got i I probably shouldn't ramble anymore marketing can be really fun marketing can be uh it should be really fun 
because it's what gets people interested in your game. But uh, maybe not too much fun. <laughs> Don't start paying off speeding tickets for entire countries or, uh, you know, having hired thugs show up with firearms places and expect everything to just go fine. Oh, I didn't even talk about Crash Bandicoot showing up outside the Nintendo offices with a megaphone. <laughs> We have to save something for our part part two, if we ever do a part two of our marketing. How about we wrap it there? <laughs> okay, Daniel's given me the cutoff sign because I'm rambling too much. But <laughs> that's good. But thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at the Turn by Turn Pod. You can find us on Instagram at the Turn by Turn Podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Google Podcasts. Uh, we're all over the place as far as that goes and you can leave us five star reviews on Apple Podcasts that'd be great uh, you can find Chris Harkey on Twitter at Chris underscore Harkey you can find him on YouTube at the Nihil channel you can find me on Twitter at Magar Mentions I'm not sure why I'm doing this for you but I, I assumed it was so that people would think that you've edited me out somewhere <laughs> and that, that you've then recorded this outro and post because <laughs> it was that much of a mess. Uh, yeah. So check us out in all the familiar places and we will talk to you next week. Unless Chris is in Dubai. Yeah, that is the plan. Got my <laughs> fingers crossed. Be <Bye>. in touch. <laughs>